Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever you listen to us and how you listen to us. Thank you for making the sports and the world podcast part of your day. I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. I hope all of you are well and safe. That's been a common theme, <laughs> common theme opening for the last, you know, I feel like last couple of months, it seems. But uh, and how are you, my man? Uh, you know, just uh, just doing my thing, man. Just trying to trying to make heads or tails of the world, man. Seems like uh, you know, football season might be uh, a thing of the past for this year. We might have to try again next year. Yeah, it's yeah, that, yeah. We'll we'll dive we'll dive into that for sure, because you know, because I think I shared it with you that yeah, I put it on Twitter. God forbid you put your opinion out there nowadays. Ah, ah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, like and, that. Is, and yeah. why? And why do you wonder that I never want to get on Twitter? It's because of dudes like that, man. Like it's like, bro, stop it. You play Fortnite for. Like you, you play Fortnite. That's all you do, and you play like Division two or three baseball, whatever you're in. God knows if he. And hey, you know what? Good on him. He's 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 playing in a college, but bro, you play Fortnite. Shut your five year old ass up. Yeah, and, and you see the thing about that, Chris, is that when I merely went to his profile because I showed you what he said, and I'll I'll probably share it on the page. You know, I'll share it on the page, but. Essentially, he said, you know, you're just a podcast, you know, podcast host, and you're the else. Like, Chris, he doesn't, he acts like I just stay in here literally in my house all day and just record. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, he, and then, well, I could easily assume that, well, he's not playing, he's on Twitch all day, whatever that is. So I don't cast dispersions because, you know, like the old saying that when you go low, I'll go high. I, I learned with Twitter that works up to a certain point because and before we get into the baseball, I'll just make this point. Maybe I'll make it later on when we talk about football, is is that if you don't agree with me, fine. There's millions of people on oh, yeah, listen, there's billions in the planet, millions in the country. We're bound to disagree on something. But if you disagree with me, don't you know? Don't throw oh oh you're a podcast podcast host and blah 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 because see what you're doing is you're deflecting. You're not making a point to counter my point. And when you lead off with that, I feel like I'm sim. I'm not bragging. I kind of semi won the argument right there because not once, Chris, did I throw up whatever he did for a living. Not once, because some people like to to, to throw it into baseball, Chris. Some people can stand in the box and th- and take fat, you know, and throw, you know. Listen, they can throw fastballs, Chris, but they can't stand in the box and take them. So, Actual. so why do Actual you think now, So why do you think that now we have universal DH? Because listen, these guys are throwing harder than ever. I don't want to stand in the box, but but I'll cover that more when when I talk about uh, college football and what's going on. But speaking of sticking with the baseball theme. I know you want to talk about something, and once again, you talk about our meetings a lot, and you brought up something in the meeting. We'll call it a meeting because we're professionals. And <laughs> it's a loose term. Yeah, yeah, it's looser than a belt buckle. So it's looser than my belt buckle at Thanksgiving. So you talked about the art of the catcher, which. I'm all about because I think it's an underrated position, and I and I think it was something good to talk about. And I'll I'll let you take the 
I'll let you uh, take the plate here and and discuss, you know, why you feel how you feel about the catcher position and its standing in baseball. Well, much obliged, my man. Uh, so, like as as Ladarius was talking about, um, so we do like our, you know, we'll, we'll call them our, uh, our our pregame walkthroughs and all that. And uh, I sent him this video uh, the other day. I was perusing on Facebook, and uh, which I know normally gets me in trouble. Uh, for once, it actually didn't. Uh, and I found this this video. Um, I don't know if it was from like baseball or or you know uh, Bleacher Report or ESPN or whatever it was. Uh, it was uh, it was about catchers and just how underrated and underappreciated that position is. But the work and effort that these guys put in, and uh, you know, to a point, I understand it. So like when I played little league and all that stuff, like. I caught, you know, I pitched, but I also caught and I spent more time, uh, you know, catching than I did pitching. Just, you know, there are better pitchers than me, you know, also for me being a catcher, you know, I'm like five foot nothing anyway. So I'm a little bit lower to the ground, man. So it's easier for me to do anyway, you know, than one, than some six foot have an ass dude like you do it. Um, so, you know, I was watching this and I was like, you know, and, and I told it there, I said, yeah, like, I kind of want to bring this up because there are so many great catchers that you know just go so far underappreciated because it's not um it's not like this luxurious position you know everybody knows a starting pitcher if you ask a baseball fan give me 10 starting pitchers dude they could rattle off 10 names without thinking twice give me 10 shortstops all time you know give me 10 outfielders all time 10 first basemen you know you say catchers people are like uh, you know, that one guy with the glove, you know, that, that one guy, you know, but you know, like what you said, you know, they're essentially like, like the point guard of, of a baseball field, you know, not only did they literally have to stop a ball coming at them for nine innings at 90 plus miles an hour. And, and not only does this thing come straight at you, it'll start, three feet above your head and break it at your foot. It'll start three feet to your left and break as far as you can reach to the, to your, uh, you know, going left over right. Um, you know, you have to, you, you're literally, you're essentially calling the game. You're, you have to study every single batter on the opposing team. You got to know their hot spots, their weak spots, their, their, their sweet spot. You know, just, you got to know everything about every batter you face because you have to set the pitcher up based on the scenario, based on what's going on. You're seeing what's on first base. You're seeing who's on second. You're seeing who's on third. The pitcher really doesn't have that view. He might, you know, peek over his shoulder if he's a righty, look over to first base, and he's, you know, he kind of has a, a fairly clear view to uh, uh, to the third base. He doesn't know who's behind him. If you're a left-handed pitcher, you know it's the opposite. First base is there. Third base is your blind spot. You know, so not only does the catcher have to worry about all of that stuff. He has to to maintain order in the field. He has to be able to call pitches to cater to a pitcher against a batter's weak spot. So he knows if a guy is is can't hit a high inside fastball to save his life, he's going to set that guy up to strike out on a high inside fastball. And then he's got to play the chess match with it. Um, and then on top of all of that, when the pitcher makes a shitty throw, he's got to magically stop it somehow to prevent a guy from gaining a base. Or, you know, honestly, one of my favorite things, you know, when when I caught was gunning people out running the second, 
that the feeling that that you get if you can catch somebody slipping, dude, ah, it's great. It's it's a great feeling. And you've got these guys that have to know all these batters, know their tendencies, and then when they get on base, you got to know who can steal a base. You know, like I mean, for example, you you got you know back in the day, you had to watch for a guy like. Um, you know, Aaron Boone, who had some wheels on him. You got to watch for outfielders. Outfielders tend to steal bases because they're fast. You know, the Gary Sheffields, the, the you know, Kenny Loftons. I mean, you name them, they're the, minus Barry Bonds. Because, well, once he started cranking up the juice, his neck came to size with a tree trunk, and they don't move that fast. But, uh, you know, you got to watch for all these guys. You got to know all of that stuff. And then on all of that, you have to turn around and then shoulder check somebody who's running at a full sprint who's trying to run through you to get to a, get to home plate. You know, and uh, it's just there's so much work that a catcher pregame and postgame and during game that they put in. And I feel like they go so unrecognized for the amount of effort that they put in, um, you know, and, and there are some some guys in the Hall of Fame that were absolute studs in their uh, in their position. You know, you got guys like Mike Piazza, who not only protected the plate, but, you know, also the dude, you, you, you put a bat in his hand, that ball is a very good chance it's going to go into orbit. Uh, you know, he was a, he was a very, very uh, intelligent batter. You know, he could hit where, where he had to, when he had to, but he could also put one out of the park. But then he also uh, you could could sit behind the plate and essentially call the game for the pitcher. Um, you know, you got guys like back in the day, like, you know, Yogi Berra or uh, Roy Campanella or Thurman Munson, uh, you know, Johnny Bench. You know, some of these guys, you know, or before our time that were outright studs. And then you have guys like. Joe Maurer and Brian McCann and, you know, one of my favorites, Jorge Posada, you know, and the thing with Posada, for example, is Posada was so great at his position, but went so unnoticed because look at the cast he had around him. He had uh, Derek Jeter, Alex Rodriguez, Aaron Boone. Uh, Mark Teixeira, Jason Giambi, Robinson Cano, uh, Curtis Granderson, Nick Swisher. Uh, I mean, you, you know, Gary Sheffield. The list can just go on. And then that's just the offensive side of the ball. You know, don't let's not even discuss the pitching staff that the Yankees had in in the 20 years that uh, that Posada played. You know, and uh, it's just you, you just sit back and you just like. Holy shit, you know, like how did the you know even though he was so great in what he did, he went so he was just overshadowed. You know, and then you have guys like you know Buster Posey for example that are still playing that are World Series champions that uh you know have all these awards and 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 all this stuff that is again are Essentially, just going unknown. I mean, how often is Buster Posey talked about compared to a, a Giancarlo Stanton or a, a Jose Altuve or an Aaron Judge or you know even when you know he he came into the league in 2009, you still had a Rod, you still had Jeter, you had uh, uh, 
you know, the Braves had a studded cast. You had, you know, a big poppy on the Red Sox. You had Manny Ramirez. You had, you know, Jason Veritek. He's another great catcher. I can't stand the team that he played for, but, you know, great catcher nonetheless. And I just wanted to, I feel like one of these people, like on this, unlike these startup companies on Facebook, I just want to bring awareness to a good cause. That's that's how I feel right now. <laughs> that's that's how I feel right now. I, I, I feel like the position of, of catcher goes so uh, unspoken about. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's 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 that guy in, in all the all the padding behind the plate that essentially runs the game, but let's just not talk about him. So I just wanted to bring some awareness to like the, the humane society of catchers in, 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 in major league baseball. Maybe I'm on to something here. Humane Society a bit. I got. I got to write that down for. Uh, <laughs> see if we can get that. Uh, squeeze in some time. Sometime let's, this week. Let's get that coin quick. Let's get that. Dear copyright office, I know it sounds. I know it sounds off, but just work with me. But you know what, Chris? I think. And I was sitting there listening to everything that you were saying, and you essentially described a point guard in basketball and a quarterback in in football. And when I was thinking of some characters, like when we did our Mount Rushmore, of, I don't know if you remember, we did our Mount Rushmore of baseball. And, and I had, I put, I put Yvonne Rodriguez, I put Pudge. Because to me, I put Pudge on my list because not only was he a great catcher, he was a great batter. And the way you describe Mike Piazza, I think Piazza and Pudge, if you, you know, they don't get the credit they deserve, more so Piazza. Because, you know, Piazza, you know, you know, like, I think he played for the Mets and the Marlins. So you can only get so much credit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know, so it's like when you play, it's like, yeah. So I'm not your agent, Mike. I'm sorry. But the, the but to, to, to go back to your point, you know, when, when you think of, when you think of great catchers, it's like, for example, like you brought up Yogi Bear, but another catcher that comes to mind that I don't think people really, really talk about. Is what I think of like guys like AJ Przinsky, like you know, listen, he played for the White Sox. I'm not his biggest fan either. He played the proponents of his career other places, but guys like that. And when you talk about how important that position is, like look at now, look at the Molinas, like look at Benji and Yadier Molina, like like Chris, you you don't hear them talked about. You know, true baseball guys like you and I. We can talk about you know the Molinas because especially especially with Yadier and his career in St. Louis. Listen, I'm the biggest Cubs fan. Well, not the biggest Cubs fan. Bill Murray takes that title, but as a Cubs fan, I'm well aware of who Yadier Molina is, and he's not only dangerous, Chris, behind the plate. He's dangerous in the in the box. He may not get you those home runs like you know. Listen, Chris, when you brought up. Guys like who get overshadowed. Yadier Molina played with a guy named Albert Pujols. I don't know if you heard of him, <laughs> but ain't nobody was talking about Yadier Molina. Yadier Molina didn't get credit until after, until after he, until Pujols went to to Los Angeles, and even his brother Benji Molina went to the Giants. Like him, I think he took over for Posey or something like that. But the point is, Chris, is that. We don't look at point. We don't look at catchers simply because, to the point that you made, 
it's not a sexy and glamorous position. Like you, you'll never see, you know, you know, uh, the you know, Gary Sanchez on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And he's well, at the rate he's going right now, yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> well, when he was great, when he was great. So you, you. The thing is, Chris, is is that we don't. It's the same thing. Remember when we talked about? I talked about with safeties in the NFL. Is is that it's just not a position of value in the NFL. And and some people in Major League Baseball, I truly believe to the point that you say, I don't think they value catchers. How do I know that? It's because they're calling up these young guys, and you, and they make mistakes. And the catcher is literally the one position in baseball where you can't make a because think about it, you've played catcher. Like Chris, if you overthrow the second baseman or the shortstop going to to second, that ball's going in the outfield. Yeah. And if you got a guy like a Ricky Henderson or an Ichiro or a guy who's playing there like Billy Hamilton out there, Chris, that guy's going to score from second. And that's a run. And if you lose five to four, they're going to blame the catcher. That's on you. Yeah. And, and they're like, oh, well, he if he would have just, you know. So people don't understand the catcher position until they become in the spotlight. Like back in the day, they had to even, like, listen, they would just truck these guys. And they had to put rules in to protect the catcher. And like people are like, oh, but they wear padding. Look, people wear Shit cups. Shit still hurts, man. Yeah, like you can wear a cup. That doesn't mean it still hurts if you get hit there. Like it's still, it's like it, it's there to shield it to make it less painful. If that makes any sense. So to to kind of wrap up your you know, to the point about catchers is, is that we have to understand how important they are because. At the end of the day, they control the field. There, to me, is why I say, look at some of the managers in baseball or who have managed. Like Joe Torre was a catcher. Mike Matheny, he was a catcher. To me, I look at managers and, like, if they're a catcher, they understand the game more because they literally see the field. They literally see the field. And they understand the game. So if a guy like when Joe Torrey can go into the, you know, he goes to the mound, he will talk to like an Andy Pettit. He knows what Joe Torrey knows. He's speaking the language. Correct. He understands the lingo and the jargon. So it was more relatable. I'm not saying first baseman can't be managed. I don't want to get those tweets in. I got enough problems on Twitter as it is. So... But my my biggest point is that look at some of the guys who've coached. Just like I think you brought up this point, Chris. Sometimes the best, like to me, like sometimes the guys who haven't played the game understand the game. But to me, I look at point guards as great, great coaches. Like like Jason Kidd was not a terrible coach. Like if you look up his coaching record, he wasn't not, terrible. Yeah, not bad, yeah. yeah. It wasn't terrible. You know, He's better than Magic Johnson at coaching and better at coaching and having a talk show, but we're not going to get into that either. But the point is this. If you don't, when you talk about guys like Buster Posey nowadays, the Molinas, and you even got guys now, like Gary Sanchez may not be showing it, but hopefully he'll turn it around. You know, the thing with with Sanchez, I'm like, I'm mad at him right now, but when he is on... The man is on, and and he's got 
he's got quite the cannon on him that he can he can gun at the second when he needs to, but then also sit back and take a hit to guard the box. Yeah. At home plate. And you know what? He's got a bat on him too. I mean, he he definitely knocked some balls last year and the year before. You know, it just sucks right now that he's in such a slump. Uh you know, all things considering right now. But yeah, and the thing is, but the reason why we talk and the reason why you talk about Gary Sanchez is because if Gary Sanchez was Gary Sanchez, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah. Because he's struggling. And I think him being a catcher plays somewhat of a factor into it. Because if you look at most lineups, they're batting near the bottom of the lineup. Like, mm-hmm. and it's like back in the day, like Piazza would be like a, you know, maybe Piazza would maybe be maybe a five or six, you know, probably later in his career. But, you know, like early on and like especially through his prime, he was a guy that you put in the cleanup spot because he had a bat Absolutely. on top of his glove. And I say at the end of the day, and like Johnny Bench, like there's a lot of we can talk about catchers all day. But, yeah, I know. And I know when people say, well, you know, well, what about, you know, first? Bit? Listen, we know, like you said, Chris. We can name five first base before we can name one catcher, a lot of people, in terms of, like, who you think is the best catcher in the game. And, and they'll literally have to go online and look it up. Because they don't know. Sometimes, Chris, they don't know who catches for their team. I know who does. You know, I, we got, like, Victor Carantini. Like, I, he's batting DH. I'm not going to get into that either. I promised myself I was going to talk about tough stuff because it's going to get me angry. We got Schwarber's the perfect, you know what, I'm not going to go in that. Shakespeare and S soliloquy on that, but but my point is is that like I think of the guy managing the Cubs now, David Ross. He's a catcher. Why? Because he understands the game. I'm willing to give a guy like David Ross, you know, not because you know he hit that home run in that in the World Series, which was great by the way, but also because he's a catcher. He's a position to me of leadership. He's the second manager on that field. Because who do you think goes that? Who do you think is in the huddle? It's the manager, the pitcher, the catcher. Sometimes the infield, you know, you know, everybody else comes in. But for the most part, it's that triumvirate of the manager, the catcher, yeah. and the pitcher. And they're the ones doing the strategy. And they're the ones trying to figure out the game. It's just like if you look on the NBA, like on the coach is talking to, should, should be talking to the point guard. Because the ball, at some point, run, the ball runs through him. Like, you know, it may be the star player, but for the most part, the point guard's taking the ball up the court. The guy who's going to be the point guard's taking up the court. They're yeah. directing traffic. And I don't care. Like, even LeBron could, LeBron could be a – he can play all the positions. But I know LeBron angers you, so I'll steer clear of that. But the, <laughs> point, but the point is this, is, is that when we look at the catcher position, look, they may not be paid as much. But they do as much work to protect the guys who get paid a way a lot more than them. It's like essentially they're the mail clerks and everybody's the executive. Like if you don't get your mail, Chris, then you're not going to know what's going to be going on. Yeah, no, I can't disagree on that. So, and, and speaking of things that's going on, you know, UFC, UFC main event and and like I say, full discretion. Like I may not, I be the biggest UFC fan in the world, but it doesn't mean I don't watch it. I watch it. It's because I have reasons. I'll explain it to you people. 
But the point is that when I do watch and when I saw the main event, I know I'll let you talk about it. And the one guy in this match, you know, who I've watched, you know, not only is he a great fighter, but he's a he's a hell of a commentator if he's a hell of a commentator too. And I think that to me, I think what the sport may miss out in the octagon, I think they'll get it back when he's in the booth. Absolutely. So, so I'll so Chris, give me your thoughts on the UFC main event. So, yeah, everybody knows UFC 252 uh, Saturday night. Uh, the main event's going to be uh, Daniel Dor- D.C. Cormier versus um, uh, Stipe Miocic. And uh, so these two dudes have already fought on two separate occasions. Both fights were absolutely just absolutely phenomenal from, from start to finish. Um, so quick history. Um UFC 226 is the first time they squared off. Uh, Stipe Miocic was a champion. Uh, DC was a contender going in. Uh, everybody that uh, that has watched DC fight, he he fights in the light heavyweight division. You know, at the, at the 205, mm-hmm. um, he bumped up to the heavyweights. So that's uh, I want to say. Two two twenty five and above. I want to say I might be wrong. I think it's two thirty five, but you know, don't hold me to it. Um, he he made that jump from light heavyweight to heavyweight. He's only five foot eleven. You look at some of these dudes that are fighting in the heavyweight division. These guys are six four, six five, six six. Now, of course, there are some freak shows like John Jones and uh, uh, was it, uh, something Gustafskin. He's this real tall Aryan nation looking kid. Um, yeah, I think his nickname is literally skyscraper. He's like six foot eight. And then when I would, and I, when I would fight him in UFC three, I'd almost break my controller every time. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, that's a big jump. Number one, the, the added weight. So of course that's more strain on your body. It's more weight you're carrying. So your cardio has to be tip top shape. Now, some, some people forget that, uh, DC was a division one champion at Oklahoma state. And you know me, I usually like bashing on the uh, on the on the uh, the Big Twelve, but wait, you know, you? wait, wait, wait a minute, you come yeah, on, all right, <laughs> come on, I I I thought you know, uh, yeah, yeah, I know, right. I... <laughs> um, so he placed, uh, let's see here, uh, in the Olympics, he he's won numerous medals, a couple golds, a couple bronzes, a silver medal. Um, I mean, literally. He's an Olympic level wrestler. He was a Division One champion wrestler. So everyone assumes that he gets into the octagon, he's just going to take you to the mat and then just just drag you down like any great Brazilian jiu-jitsu or wrestler does, and they just grind you and grind you until you until you just you you, you got to tap. But a lot of people forget that DC could stand up and bang with the most of them and see the advantage with him coming from, uh, from light heavyweight to heavyweight with him being shorter. See, a lot of people think that, you know, if you're taller, it's the advantage. See, yeah. Tall people, if you can stay and keep that distance, what, mm-hmm. what exactly, which is what, uh, Steve failed to do the first fight. 
He didn't keep DC at distance. He let DC get into his guard. And as and I and I'm and I'm speaking now again. I'm no professional fighter by any standard, but I'm speaking from personal terms. If I have to stand and bang with somebody hand to hand, number one, like I'm too old for it. And unless if I'm getting paid to do it, I ain't gonna do it. That's just uh, you know I'm I'm past that point in my life. But if I had to, or if I'm doing it for sport or whatever. I'm trying to, you know, a, a guy like your size, I don't want to stand and try to play the reach game with you. You naturally have a longer reach than me. So mm-hmm. you're going to be able to punch me before I can punch you. I step past that wrist and I get from your elbow in. Now you've got a problem because you can't you can't punch backwards. I get inside you. I can start throwing body shots. I can start throwing hooks. I can get in the clinch, do some dirty boxing, which is what DC has always done to people that are taller than him. And that first fight between DC, uh, DC and Stipe, it was a round one knockout. I, think, I mean, he literally had like 15 seconds left on the clock I, or something very close to it. He That round was just getting ready to, to come to a close there. And he caught him with an elbow. They were in a clinch. He pushes him out and then hits him with that elbow, drops him to the ground, and just ground and pounds him. And, of course, the, the referee just pulls him off because Stipe was out cold. He Stipe fought. He he immediately sprung up. You know, sometimes some of these fighters they have that adrenaline, and maybe they don't they don't get their shit rocked too hard, where they can immediately come back to reality and know what's going on. Um, you know, he he fought it a little bit, but you know, he took it like a champ and like, okay, I lost. It's whatever. Uh, you know, and UFC 241 it was the rematch, and uh, so this was the second go around, and the entire fight Stipe. Learn from his mistake. He 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 started letting DC get in and get those dirty boxing shots in, and you know, and those close range strikes that D and DC has that real short range snappy that he can have his left hand down by his waist and just come up and snap you in the head with a really really good straight left. And um, you know that's that's where uh, uh, where Stipe was getting himself in trouble. Well, he corrected that in the third and fourth round. And then in the fourth round, he kept the distance. He kept that arm's length away that he knew he had the advantage of DC on. And the other thing he started doing was checking body shots. DC would try to throw a straight right. He'd come up under him and hit him just with a, with a left body shot. And he kept tagging that inner left, you know, almost like a, like a liver punch and, uh, and kept getting him on that left side. And finally he buckled him once. And he, he cracked him in the head. He, you know, he knocked him against the cage. And then we all know what happened from there. It was, it was a fourth round uh, TKO stoppage by Herb Dean. And uh, Stipe got the belt back. So this is the, uh, you know, the third and final fight between these two. Uh, and then, of course, DC said that, you know, as we talked about stepping in, um, that this, win or lose, regardless, this is going to be his last fight. You know, number one, he's getting up there in age. Uh, you can only last so long as as a UFC fighter, um, you know, and at number one, to be able to do it at 41 years old is just outright amazing, you know. Now, and then also, mind you, he normally sits at 250 pounds. He's he, he cuts down to about 235 to fight. So he's losing, you know, a lot of weight coming into a fight there. Um you know, overall, he's got a good record. I mean, if if you look at his his fight stats, I mean, he's twenty two and two and uh, one no contest. Stipe's uh, nineteen and three. This is going to be uh, one hell of a show, I think. Regardless, um, I'm excited for it. I'm going to be watching it. 
Um, what are uh, what are your thoughts on it? Well, well, my thoughts is that I'll, I'll give my thoughts and then I'll give my uh, prediction. I, I'll, I'll press you after I press mine, so it won't seem like you know, like oh, they're matching because you know one of the things Chris that you said that stood out to me was the fact of how long Corey has been doing this. Like, it's one thing to be an athlete in your 40s. If you're a 40 and you're golfing, that's kind of considered your semi-prime because you're golfing. Yeah. Like, any, any, any physical sport, especially UFC, you know, I, I, I give him, I commend him. Which I, I think, I mean, I definitely think that mixed martial arts or any combat sport, I think is significantly more detrimental to body damage than... Like you said, playing golf in your 40s, okay. Playing baseball in your 40s isn't completely unheard of. Yeah, it's completely not. I mean, you know, you start then. I think basketball is the first the 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 first hurdle where you're like, oh, you're 40. You know, look at Vince Carter for example. Vince Carter, you know, when you and I were in school, the man was on on posters, just dunking on everybody. Oh yeah. You know, you had to have his shoes. I, you know, I, I remember one year Vince Carter's shoes were the real hopping thing because he was the first one. That, if I, now again, I might be speaking out of turn, so if I'm wrong, please forgive me. He was the first one to get the Nike shocks, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Cause, yeah. Cause I, cause I remember one year I, I, I betrayed the Jordan brand and, uh, and, and I swapped over to some Vince Carters because they were, they were pretty cool looking. And, what uh, Judas. Judas. I know. Yeah, I know. I was, I was, yeah. That's 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 one thing I will say, man. I always had, I mean, and you can contest to it. I always had some fly ass shoes, man. Yeah, I, was, I mean, yeah. I was, I was rocking either some some Jordans, some Iversons, or or like scale like Etnies, and, and when I was in like the the I want to dress like Blink One Eighty Two phase. Um, but yeah. So anyway, so but sorry to cut you off. I know we're we're sidetracking, but yeah, to to be forty one years old in mixed martial arts. Dude, I'm about ready to turn 33 here in a week and a half. I don't know if I could do it right now. And this guy's got like, you know, a few years on me. <laughs> you know, so I mean, I could to be able to do this at 40. I mean, hats off to you, man. You know, even win or lose, hats off. But I'm sorry, please continue. Oh no, you know, I I, I was I was listening and thinking about like I was always I was tall, so I I, I would very rarely look down. I'm like the few times I did look down, I I did notice your shoes. I did notice your shoes. So, yeah, yeah, I'm so glad that the air is just, you know, I'm sure it's just so much thicker up there, too, man. It really is. You know, listen, you grab a ladder or something, and you're welcome to come up. Kiss my no. ass. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is code for, sure, there, I'll bring my ladder. So, I, when, 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 when you know somebody long enough, you know, you know. Yeah, you, made, you can read between the lines. Yeah, it made me like, oh, man, he insulted him on the show. Oh, no, he just said grab him a ladder. I'll probably swing by, you know, Home Depot or Lowe's. So, but to to kind of go back to your point, is, is that I think the reason why you're going to see more longevity is because of the technology. And I think, but for Cormier, I think, could Cormier fight another year or two? Sure. Because, you know, the technology is there. Like, look at LeBron. LeBron's the type of guy where he could be one of those players. I'm not going to say he's going to be, like, one of the best five players in the world when he's 40. But he'll definitely be a top ten player 
if he decides to play till he's 40. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, sports science, especially for football, I think has come such a long way. Yeah, and then even even the study of biomechanics, keeping. I mean, look at Tom Brady. Yeah, Tom Brady's what 42 and and still clicking and ticking. Yeah, I, I think, and and one of the things is that when you look at we talk about UFC and you think about guys like Corey and Liddell and you think of like Ken Shamrock. That, I don't know if you see the picture of Ken Shamrock lately. Jeez, he is he is you know some he's looking pretty studly. Others, I'm like, dude, yeah, it's, like you were looking rough there, Kenny. Yeah, it's like, have you seen Ken Shamrock? And I'm like, it, 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 it isn't no means. How do people will take that? I think other people will take it at face value. But going back to your Cormier, I think Chris will will make this fight great. Is is that? It's a matter of it's. I think of like any great rivalry, there's no edge. Like if you look at the odds of this match, Cormier, you know, Stipe is like a slight, it's slight edge because even those who bet are just like we just don't know how this is gonna go. And what makes this match great is that a the history is there, the history is there, and b you have Cormier going to his last match. He has really nothing to lose. He has nothing to lose. Yeah. He has nothing to lose. And when I think of a, when I think of people who have nothing to lose, like they're going to take chances and they're going to take risks because hey, there's no tom- there's no next match for them. There's no there's no next. Yeah, this match. is it. Yeah, this this is one hundred percent it. I um, I I I definitely think that it's going to be uh a great one to watch. The also the other thing I like too between these two guys is they both keep it super professional and courteous. They're not out there. Yeah. Now trust me, as much as I love listening to Nate Diaz and Conor McGregor just shit talk people, um these two have kept it like really for being a high caliber fight. They're not out there in the media making an ass of themselves. And uh and it's like you said, I mean, DC, can, he can literally retire as a champion. I mean, what a better way to go out, you know? Um, so, you know, I know you wanted to talk about football, so we'll, we'll push our way towards that. So to wrap this up, uh, Vegas has prediction at, at uh, uh, DC being by decision on a, on a 120 uh, spread. What do you, uh, what do you think? You so know, that's, that's, I, that's Vegas odds according to uh, uh, oddshark.com. Yeah, I, I saw those odds and I said, I, I do feel this match is going to go to decision. I, I really do because of the history. Like if the, And it's really tough. But I, I lean toward Cormier simply because he has nothing to lose. Yeah. And because to me, like I say, it, think of it this way. He has a chance to do something like John. Only John Elway has done. Literally walk off and paid Manny. You walk off a champion. Like you put it all out there. You put it all out there in the octagon. You walk out a champion. That only enhances your legacy. Your legacy is already huge. But imagine going out. Yeah, to go out on top just makes it that much bigger. I, and I mean, I, I when I saw those odds, Chris, I said. I can't like I nothing no disrespect to you know Steve no no disrespect to him at all. 
But I look to those guys, I look to Cormier and say, this guy's nothing to lose. Look, that 120, that, that's a good, those are good odds, by the way. I take it. I think, I think Cormier is going to go out there, nothing to lose, thinking about, only thing he's thinking, of, people think, oh, he may be thinking about retirement. No, Cormier is thinking about that match. That's literally the only thing he can think of. So he can, it's easy for him to get in the zone because he knows there's no, when he wakes up, you know, when he wakes up next week, that's it. So he knows that's pretty much it. So I I think Cormier decision. I don't, I don't see this match going, you know, I don't see no one knocking. Because like you say, I think it's professionalism and I think it's, there's mutual respect clearly there for one another. And, and I think that's important. So I don't. So I don't necessarily believe one's going to knock out the one or you know submission anything like that. To me, it's decision. When I saw the match and I said, "This match has you know you really can't you can't go wrong either way." But I lean toward Cormier simply because look, you want to go out like Elway and Manning did, a champion. So, so sticking with the football theme. Let's wrap up with something that apparently I took a lot of hit on for Twitter. So and, you just don't, you don't give a shit about my opinion? Oh well, damn, dude. No, 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 moving on. No, go ahead, Chris. Go I ahead. thought I thought we was a team, man. Wow. Hey, listen. For, for the record, George Michael left Wham. Think about that, America. Okay. So, okay. okay. A lot of he left. You know, a lot of. <laughs> I was I, the reason why I did that, folks. I wanted him to say something because I know. I knew I didn't go to him, and I'm like, he's gonna jump in when I try to transition. So, so savage man. That's so savage. We're gonna do like Usher. We're gonna take it and rewind it back. And so, Chris, I'm gonna press you. Who do you have? And these are my confession fashions. Yeah, I just threw some Usher in there. Uh, so, all right, keys to victory uh, for both of them, and then I'll, and then I'll give you my pick. Keys to victory for uh, Miocic. Do not let DC get you on the ground. That man is like an anaconda and will just wrap you up and just rip rip you limb from limb. Uh, so stay off the ground. Key to victory number two. Do not, by any circumstances, let him clinch you. That was proven to be very ineffective. Um, do not let him get inside reach. If he can get inside reach, once again... You will not survive, Stipe. And last but not least, stay on the body shots. The body shots on him worked incredibly well. You, but you've got to do them in the later rounds. If you, you know, you've got to be able to get him gas. He starts taking those big, you know, those big breaths to, to get some air inside of him. You got it. You got to do it then. On the flip side of the coin, for DC, keys to victory. You can get him on the ground. Do it. It's literally the exact opposite. If you can get him on the ground, do it. Do not stand and try to bang at distance. Get inside. Use that dirty boxing for being as, I don't want to say odd-shaped, but being shorter but stockier, he reminds me of like Brock Lesnar and his moving capability. You you look at Brock Lesnar, you would not expect him to be as fast, agile, and limber as he is. Yeah. I'll just throw this in. I'll let you get back to it. Like, when you look at Brock Lesnar, I remember Brock Lesnar, like, I'm still a huge wrestling fan, still to this day. I remember when he debuted, and, like, you know, listen, I'm 32. So he debuted, like, SmackDown came, like, early 2000s. 
and I was a teenager, and you see Brock Lesnar, and you're like, he, he, you didn't expect him to move the way that he did. He has an amateur wrestling, like Cormier, has a, you know, has the amateur wrestling background, but the way that he moves, the agility, and you get fooled really quickly until you start seeing them move around the ring. Or in, in, this, in this case, when you start seeing them move in the octagon. So I didn't mean to, to take the thunder away, but I just had to bring that up because that's a very, very, very good comparison. No, yeah, but, well, you know what it is, is that see, you look at, at Brock Lesnar with that, um, uh, the amateur, you know, uh, you know collegiate wrestling uh, career. I want to say he wrestled, if I'm, if I'm correct, he was at Minnesota, right? Correct, yeah. Okay. Uh, and then on top of that, you know, a lot of people actually don't know this, but he was in the NFL. I know, I know you know it. Oh, yeah. uh, so, so he was, uh, he played, you know, funny thing for it. He played for the Minnesota Vikings. Um, and you know, I, and, and again, you know, the, the irony of all of this is that, you know, I was watching him, uh, you know, and and some of these highlight reels when he was playing in the NFL, and uh, I mean, he was he was just a little stud. You know, I mean, he didn't he didn't make it very far, which I'm I'm actually shocked. But same thing, I want to say he he was a oh what well, he was a, a a defensive end. Yeah, he played the D line. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was an end and. I mean, I remember watching him lay some hits on people, and I was just like, holy shit, I would not want to <laughs> to, to be on his bad side, man. But going back to D.C., you know, uh, D.C. is the same way. He's a very agile and fast man for his side. It's like when you look at, like, a lion or a, a, a tiger or, or, you know, some big cat, and you're like, there's no way that this big, giant cat can have the finesse to do the things that they do, but... Son of a bitch, they do it. And uh, it's the same thing with DC. So, again, points of victory for DC. If you can get him on the ground, do yourself a favor and do it. Do not stand and trade with him at distance. Use your dirty boxing. Use your speed to your advantage. Get inside like before. Uppercut, 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 headshot. Uppercut, headshot. That's what brought him the the, the belt the last go around. And I, I definitely think he can do it. Now, for my pick... I'm going to go with DC, but I'm going with a second round knockout. Woo. Interesting. interesting. I, I think that he's going to come in. Like you said, it's gonna, the first round. They're going to start feeling each other out. And I think DC is going to get to that aggressive nature that just he, he's an aggressive fighter. He will push the fight to you. I think he's going to bait uh, Stipe into try to take in some of those body shots. And the thing is, is when you go low, you know, as as uh, whatever fucking Michelle Obama or, or her stupid ass husband said, you go low, you go high, you go low to punch someone in the in in the stomach, you're leaving that whole side of your head open. And DC's got a very very strong right hand, and and Miocic found that out the the first go around, and uh, so I think that's what's going to happen. He's gonna he's gonna bait Stipe into doing something, crack him the dome piece, night night, second round knockout. Well, you know, well, well, the most important thing is that I think we both agree we just see it two different ways. Because either way, I just, I think we both see Cormier in a situation where, hey, I think that there's nothing, like I say, and it, it may sound like a, an ad nauseum, 
nothing to lose, goes out a champion. He wants to be like that John Elway, Peyton Manning. He wants to ride onto that sunset, knowing that he finished to add to his already, you know, go get his UFC Hall of Fame jacket ready. So, so he just wants to ride onto the sunset. You know, speaking of, you know, football and riding onto the sunset, you know, I, I'll lead in with this. I'll, and I think Chris knows that I may go on a Abe Lincoln speech, but I won't. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> if I start saying four score, then that's, that's the end of the episode. So that's the code word. So I went on Twitter, and I, I went on Twitter, uh, I believe it was the other day, and, and if you recall, I, I shared it with you, but I talked about, you know, my thoughts on college football. And <laughs> Like I say, you know, heaven forbid you share your thoughts on Twitter or just share your, your opinions in, in general. So I, I essentially said that I just, me personally, I don't feel safe to have college football. Now, do I want college football? You and I, Chris, we talk about outside of maybe baseball, we talk a lot, a lot of college football on this show. So I think we can agree on that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I didn't say it to be like the guy that says, oh, you know what, you know, to be like the, the curmudgeon in the room. But my thing is simply this. When I look at the professional level, they can't get it right in Major League Baseball. And these are professionals. These are professionals. You had the whole, you had at least three to four organizations affected and they had protocol you've had some grown folks decide you know the zach please like the pitcher for the cleveland indians they sent him back they made him rent a car he had to rent the car and drive back to cleveland because he violated because he partied in when the when the, when they were playing the white Sox in chicago that's how serious the Indians took it. They just said, screw it, send it home. Mike Clevenger, arguably their second pitcher, their second best pitcher behind Shane Bieber, sent him, sent him home. But it doesn't change the fact that on the professional level there's a problem. And the other problem that I had is that, is that look, I understand why people want college football. I understand people, some people prefer college sports more than professional. And that's great, Chris. That's, I'm, not, I'm not one of the people who's trying to say, hey, let's not have sports, but Chris, we have to live in the world of reality and the world we live in. I'm not saying that these kids shouldn't play or dictate. My biggest problem is, you, and I'll say it, you have a bunch of grown-ass men who all of a sudden care about the voices of these athletes who want to play. Like my question, Chris, where were they? Where were these these athletes had the same voices when they wanted to get paid? I don't recall those same dudes at the NCAA listening. Like I may be completely off base on that, but I'm pretty sure they didn't care because it wasn't what they agreed with. The reason why you have this conversation, oh, we're signing with these players, is simply because, Chris. I understand the financial aspect, and I get it. I get it. But at the end of the day, me personally, 
you're asking these kids who, by the way, they're taking the risk, not you, not me, none of them, to go out there and play, and then you try to have the protocol. Listen, I just don't, I just don't think it's a great idea. I'm not trying to say we shouldn't. Listen, I'm not saying shut down college sports forever. But we have to understand, Chris, look how our world has changed since the coronavirus. If there's people right now who can't go to work, they can't go to work because of what's going on. And it's not their fault. Once again, we live in that world. You have, and I understand, you know, the job impact. Listen, it's affecting people like you and me. Like maybe not as directly, but I think you get the point of what I'm trying to say. Is that it affects everyday people. College sports are important, absolutely. But I will not do that at the expense of these 18, 19, 20-year-old kids. No. Like, they may want to play, and you got a bunch of grown folks saying, oh, yeah, we should let them play. And especially, specific, to be more specifically, a lot of the, the coaches, and like Nick Saban, and you know, Chris, we like Nick Saban on this show. Hmm? So... If he was in Alabama, we respect him. He he said that these players are safer at Alabama than they are at home. And that automatically told me, listen, could it be true? Yeah, but don't but the way it came off and the way I read that particular quote that he said was that, hey, we're not gonna send these kids out because they're more prone to get in their institution. Chris. School, I think, was it Rutgers? Like 20 of them kids got caught with the coronavirus. Like, and, that's, and they're supposed to be quote unquote on campus. I'm not trying to nar- I'm not trying to argue and say that maybe it is safer, but there's more example of, of that where it's just not. And I argue with somebody on Twitter with a kid who plays Division II baseball who's a Twitch affiliate, so I'm not knocking Twitch. I'm not knocking the D2 schools. Don't at me or anything like that. But my point to him was, was the safety. To me, it's all about the safety, Chris. It's like, listen, if they do continue to play, like the Big 12 said, you know, not too long ago, they're going to try to play football. Now, do I feel, listen, that's their option. But when literally one of the biggest hotbeds of it is Texas, and you have Baylor, Texas, Texas A&M playing in that state, that's a problem. And people argue it's political. I don't like, listen, my philosophy is always this. Should it be, a, some things are about politics, some things aren't. My point is this, Chris. If it's the same thing. I don't know if you recall, Chris. I talked about baseball. I don't remember, Chris. I said I had my same concerns about baseball. I literally had the same concerns, Chris, because look at the states of where it's happening. Like, to me, the SEC is the ones more at danger because literally, look at the map. Like, there's football in Cal. There's, excuse me, there's football in Texas. There's teams out here where I am in Florida. And it impacts. I'm kind of shocked that the Big Ten shut it down because, you know, they're not as, you know, I'm not going to say not as prone to it, 
But but to go back to my greater point is that if it's if it's, I'm trying to to piece this point together here. We have to define something, Chris, that I think is important. Is that is amateurism. Is that we always like to call these kids student athletes, correct? We yep. call them student athletes. But the problem is we're asking them to kind of be professionals here. Listen, you have men and women working the front lines. They're taking risks. And I commend them. Because some do want to be out there to save lives, even if it's risking their health. My point, Chris, is why are we asking these college kids, and they may want to play, Chris, and that's great, but what they don't understand is that look who's asking you to play. The NCAA is asking you to play. And now all of a sudden, somebody, I don't know if it was Danny Cannell. Yeah, it was Danny Cannell. He used to quarterback for Florida State. So I was halfway pissed when I saw it. But anyway, the point is he was talking. He essentially said, oh, now it gives college athletes a, a voice at the table. Okay, pause. When these players demanded, when they wanted compensation, where was their voice at the table? That's why there's no NCAA football game. But these kids weren't getting paid. You're asking them to use their likeness, to use their representation, on the, and they weren't getting paid. It boils down to money. Everything in the situation revolves around money. But yet their voices were not getting heard, and like, we're not going to give them the money. We, we pocket the money. That's what they essentially did. Now that they're voicing that they want to play, yeah, now they have a voice at the table. They had a voice at the table. It's just that you didn't agree with everything that they said, so you it's, blocked out. Yeah, it's it's the point of hypocrisy, and yeah. Yeah. and Go ahead. you know I think yeah, sorry to cut in. It's 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 the point of hypocrisy that it, sometimes in the world, especially as of late, and it's, I mean, and there's certain subjects. I know this is sports in the world, but certain subjects get touchy, and I get a little too passionate and hurt people's feelings on it. Um, but sometimes it just feels like everyone has a freedom of speech until you disagree with their thought process where these student athletes had a voice, but when it didn't conform to your agenda, all of a sudden they don't. And, um, you know, it's, it's a rough situation. Um, you know, I, I, I honestly don't know where I stand on it because I have my own views of, the coronavirus, and I'm not one of these people that think it's just a giant hoax and it's not real. It's definitely real. Do I think is it as bad as the media makes it out to be? Absolutely not. Um, again, these are just my personal thoughts. It has no no bearing on anything. So half of me is like, you know what? Like life needs to go on. Are we just gonna let let this cripple us forever? Yeah. And then the other part of me is like, you know, yeah, you are. We are. In 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 a, in a tangible, you know, gambling with with people's lives, but see, also the other thing is, so now that's my emotional side of my brain. On my logic side of the brain, where where I think and where my 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 business brain kicks in, that, that's what one of my friends called it the other day. Is because sometimes 
I look at everything from like a business analytical standpoint yeah, yeah, yeah. and it could be a fault, yeah. you know, it could be a fault or it could be, that's the reason why I'm at where I'm at right now in life, you know, um, is that, you know, from a business standpoint and a socioeconomic standpoint, if at work, for example, I, a, a, a job, a career, whatever, if I employ you, Ladarius, and we agree that I'm going to pay you so much and then you're going to have to perform these services up to this standard, I'm going to continue to pay you until you, you break those standards. Now, mm-hmm. on the flip side of the coin now, as a college, Ladarius, I'm offering you a full-ride scholarship to play football. I don't got a football season. Do I still pay for your scholarship? Hashtag question mark. You know, and again, um, it's a soup sandwich no matter which way you look at it. Because, you know, smaller schools, for example, uh, you know, play us, the University of Florida. Furman, New Mexico State, we pay these guys $400,000 to play us. That money goes really, really, really far for a program. Mm -hmm. I remember, oh, God, it was five, six years ago when Jeff Driscoll – it's actually after Driscoll uh, left us. We played FAU at home in the swamp, and I ended up getting tickets front row behind their bench. (laughs) The the visitors bench. So I was behind FAU the whole time. <laughs> so you can just imagine how all that went over. It's a, <laughs> honestly it's a sheer miracle that I did not get thrown out of out of the swamp that day. Sheer miracle. Um, but you know what? For for assholes like me in the in the in the in the crowd screaming at these players and berating them and the other ninety thousand people just cheering to their hearts content, FAU lost. Um, but. They got a quite the payday. When Furman came to town, I was at that game. We beat the piss out of Furman. They got quite the payday. And, you know, so that's that's I think this issue is very detrimental to a lot of these smaller schools where um, they're not going to get the income. Does that put their program in jeopardy? That four hundred thousand dollars could go a long way for a program that could be that entire team's um uniform budget for the year for jerseys and pants and cleats and socks and helmets, Um, you know, or for the bigger schools, the Florida's, the Florida States, the Michigan's, as much as I hate them, Ohio State, um, they're the revenue stream that football creates for Mm -hmm. these universities is huge. It is you, 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 I mean, prime example, you look at my office right now. Uh, I have, a limited edition uh, University of Florida national championship coin from all three times they've won the national championship hanging on my wall. I've got this cute little banner thing that has all of the Gator logos from the dawn of time until now. I've got a Gators flag. I've got Gators memorabilia in my curio cabinet. I got shot glasses. I've got autographed hats. I've got a, a, an authentic autographed uh Tim Tebow jersey from the uh, the 2009 national championship, and I got all sorts of autographs on that from like Chris Rainey and uh, Quentin Dunbar and and all those guys. I've got uh, yeah, I'm I'm literally just looking at my house, you know, and I haven't even gone to my closet yet. To every year I buy the coaches uh, 
collared shirts, you know, because, you know, something to wear for work or the long sleeve shirts I buy. I've got a fucking Gators tie, for Christ's sakes, that I wear at sales meetings. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, all, all of that stuff. And that's just me. That's not including the apparel that you buy or my buddies buy. Or the apparel that Derek buys, our friend, uh, our, our Ohio State band, or not bandwagon, I don't want to bust his balls like that, our, our Ohio State fan. You know, all of this stuff adds up, you know. Uh, and then if you're taking away football season, on average, the lowest ticket you're going to find price-wise is 50 bucks at, at Ben Hill Griffin. That's, that's the lowest amount you can pay, unless if you scalp it game day in front of the stadium. Other than that, you're 50 bucks and above. If you're sitting front row, like, you know, where I'm sitting at, you're looking three, four, 500 bucks a ticket on the, uh, depending on how soon you buy it, you know, um, you know, so you've got all this stuff compiling. And so this is where I'm looking at it from, from a business standpoint, if you're not getting revenue, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you pay your employees? And in this case, with the college kids, how how do they get a scholarship when they can't do what the scholarship is, is paying them to do, essentially? I mean, uh, uh, long story short, I, I think we can agree in, in a really roundabout way, you're being played to play football uh, as, as a student athlete. You may not be getting physical monetary funds coming into your wallet. But room and board is paid. Your food is paid for. Your books are paid for. Your tuition is paid for. Uh, you you will be leaving that school if you play your cards right and you and you neither go into the NFL or you complete your four years and do whatever. You're walking out debt free and definitely with money in your pocket too because all the side shit that let's face it all these kids get. Yeah. So do these schools? Do they do, do they not? You know, so the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are the first two to pull the plug. Do they not pay their student athletes? Do they not give them room and board and tuition? It's like, well, if you can't play football, what the hell are you doing for me? So there's a lot of questions that I would like I would like answered to see what what's going to go on with that, and then see if any of the other Power Five conferences, because right now you still got the Big Twelve, the ACC, and the SEC. The the SEC and the ACC have you know said it's a green light. We're going. Will that change? We don't know. Um, you know, and then also I want to say we're what thirty days out from uh, from the NFL kickoff of the season. Mm-hmm. A lot of questions answered here. You know, there there's a you know a lot of this stuff, all the 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 income from the concession stands and the hot dog guy walking up and down the aisle. You know, and then not only does it impact the physical uh, uh, revenue stream of the university, but so so you got Ben Hill Griffin Stadium, okay, in Gainesville. You've got a strip of bars right across the street that you know damn well are quadrupling their business on the low side on game day. Mm-hmm. You've got all the hotels. There, there's two Hilton properties and a Marriott property all within two miles of the stadium. I bet you those are not going to be full. Um, the, 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 the mall in Gainesville that's got, that's got Gator Mania in it, you know, damn well, that's not going to be full or all of the street entrepreneurs that are out selling merch on the side of the road uh, on, on university Boulevard and all this other stuff, you know, this is affects the community. It affects the restaurants and the bars and the hotels and, and, you know, everything, you know, so it sucks, but I'm wondering what. What are these schools going to do with these student athletes? And again, that's my business brain thinking. I hope it doesn't come to that. 
I personally, for me, I I really want to see a college season. I know that's something we might disagree on. Well, not that you don't want to see one, but you're like, hey, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, you I, know, I, hey, we got to look at the broad picture. Um, I I, I don't want to see a kid get sick and die. I, I I yeah, I don't. But then at the same time, that's where part of me, you know, do we just cower in fear? For how long? You know, every time we turn on the news, it's one thing or and again, I don't want to turn it, you know, fucking political. Um, but there's a lot of a lot of unanswered questions, I guess. And hopefully we may be able to answer uh, next week on our segments. And everything that you said is true. But let me preface with it with a semi counterpoint. OK, it's like like the Lincoln Douglas debate. If you haven't seen them, this, this is part of it. But. I, I understand where you're coming from from the business aspect because I have a business. And I understand completely where you're coming from. But m- my simple point is this. Is while I understand that, you know, other, there's other factors involved. My, my biggest concern is is that yeah? I I do want a college football season. You're right. We just may disagree on the 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 way the the way about it transpires. But my biggest point, Chris, is is that these schools, and and I look at conferences, they have the money. They get endowments. And I, and I think you're familiar. You know what endowments are. Oh yeah. So when I hear. When I hear schools talk about, like, the schools that essentially can't afford it, they don't get in, as great endowments. Like, I don't want to throw schools under the bus, but, like, we know what schools don't get the greatest amount of endowments. When, I'm not going to try to demagogue a school on, you know, on a podcast. That's not the way we operate. Well, some days. But, but my biggest point is, while I while I understand your point where they get the, the the scholarship and the room and the board and that's great, but is that still worth your health? Because Chris, I think what could happen is that if these kids go out there and play, there's lawsuits that could happen. I think and now I'm speaking from a criminal justice side. Oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I have to, to, to cut in on that actually. If I can if I can yeah. intercept you real quick, um. I'm, well, I, I've nailed you like Tony Romo twice now. <laughs> yeah, but I dodged. I dodged the blitz. So, <laughs> um, so you know, when you speak from a criminal justice standpoint, so um, I was talking about this. You know, we we, we all know that uh, you know I I sit somewhat decent on the food chain in the uh, company that employs me, mm-hmm. and I I'm I'm fairly close to our executive vice president for our company. So our number two, uh, the the Mike Pence. If you say for our company, um, just a little, little less awkward. Um, so I was talking with him a, a, about that, you know, because I was like, hey, you know, like, have we thought about sending our employees back? You know, because the majority of us, you know, I, I, uh, I travel just like you know the guys that below me do, and and uh, you know, when I started at the bottom, I spent a lot of time on the road, and there have been an, on more than one occasion that you and I have done a. Uh, a segment where I've been out and about at some, some corner of the country. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my boss, and and that's exactly what my boss said. He said, you know, Chris, I put you people back on the road or I tell you to put your people back on the road. A, 
is like one thing I learned is I will never ask someone to do something I wouldn't be willing to do myself, which is a very good leadership tactic and trait. So if you're in management, take notes right there. Um, the other thing is that he said, one of you guys gets sick. We just picked up the hospital bill for it. We, you know, I mean, granted, your insurance is going to, you know, do it. But if anything happens to you, we're, we're held responsible. We're, we're the one picking up the tab for you. He's like, there's no way in hell we want to do that, you know. Uh, and then again, it could turn into a lawsuit. Uh, I, I tell little Johnny, okay, Johnny, I need you to go do X, Y, and Z in in this state. Well, little Johnny, of course, doesn't want to lose his job or feel like that he's undermining authority. So he'll go do what I'm told. Now, when little Johnny gets the coronavirus and like, I don't know, heaven forbid fucking dies or some shit or gets really, really sick. Well, now he could turn around and say, well, work made me go out. Okay, cool. And then some you know, ambulance chasing lawyer will be will will be nipping at our ass like a like a dog with a stake in our pocket. And uh so we put ourselves in a very compromising position. So yeah, to circle back to you, yeah, there there's some legal issues that when these kids get sick, you know, is it is it like is it not like the NFL or MLB where you can't sue due to arbitration clauses because there's a player union? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I'd be curious to, to to get some some insight on that. Yeah, but, sorry, yeah. please continue. Yeah, and and you know, to, you know, to kind of to wrap up, th- that's my biggest point, Chris. Is is that I think what what makes this show work? I'll just be real brief. Is that you know you have a I think we talk about your what people don't know about me is that in a former life, you know. I, you know, I I studied criminal justice, went to school for. This doesn't mean I'm smarter than everybody. I don't want I I don't like talking about my accomplishments. I don't think I'm smarter than everybody. But I always think in that mind, the same way you think in the business mind, the same way that you think in the business mind, Chris. I think in the the legality. Is is that Northwestern? I don't know if you remember Northwestern tried to unionize, and you know, you know the Northwestern. Yeah. And essentially, it got squashed. And you bring and I bring up that point is that if these kids get sick, we're not talking, you know, you know, we're talking massive lawsuits. And essentially, you know, you could argue dereliction of duty. I'm not going to go into the big legal, you know, this a legal hotline 101 or business 104. But is that my concern, Chris, is that it's the cost and, you know, the same thing you probably think about is the benefits and the risks. The cost, the benefits, the risks. To me, if the benefits outweigh the risk, Chris, I wouldn't be having this conversation. If I didn't feel within my heart that college football could pull this off. But when I look on the professional level and I see they can't get it right. And like I said earlier in the episode, remember when I talked about Major League Baseball and I brought that very same point. I wanted baseball. We have baseball that's back and that's great. But once again, to the point that you mentioned, the legality aspect, you can't turn around and sue the league. Now, I would be curious to know if these kids get sick, Chris, what happens? Yeah. What there's do we no do? union. There's no nothing. You're, 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 a, uh, you're a student that essentially is, I mean, it could fall under reckless endangerment. Right. Yeah. There, there, there's a lot of legality issues. I didn't mean to cut you off. I apologize. But but that's the point I always speak to, Chris, is that 
when I went on Twitter and made that point, I wasn't saying it as a football fan. As a football fan, yes, Chris, I do want to talk about college football. But I think about the legality. And, you know, I mean, I have the, the great business mind that you do because you have a great business mind, by the way. Thank you. And, you know, and that part of business with me, you know, you know, I'm an NBA. I ran a business. So I took criminal justice. So I so my brain kind of gets cut in thirds and halves a lot. So I try to explain, imagine dealing with that. So it's it's like Jekyll Hyde and then another personality. But the point you is, you know, some people call that schizophrenia. You know what I call it? <laughs> I call it. That's what I call it. I call it. That's what. I call <laughs> but but the point is, Chris, is that. I just look at this and go, these kids are going out there and risking it for a bunch of folks who are they prepared to fit the bill? Because as we know, Chris, people can take you out to dinner, but they don't want to pay the bill. Uh huh. So like if if you take out you take out so you know you take out a, you know someone on a date, it's automatically assumed that you're going to pay the bill because they assume you have bigger pockets. What I was always taught is that people will always go after bigger pockets. College football, listen, the NCAA is a bigger pocket than college football, as in, in terms of the entity aspect, if that makes any sense. So my biggest concern is the health. Do I want college football? I keep reiterating it. Yes, I do. But like the people, like I was called a clown. I was like, oh, you're a clown, and you don't know what it's like to be – no, you're right, because I could go on Twitter, Chris, I think we talked about this, and I could blast them with the things that I've accomplished, but Chris, you could too, I could too. A lot of people could, but you know why we don't, Chris? It's because when you know it, you know it, and you have nothing to prove. Yeah. I didn't have nothing to prove by arguing with him, because he was arguing from a place of passion. And I always say this before we wrap up, is that it's great to have emotion, but have logic. And that's where people don't understand. I think when people talk about issues, and I don't care how people's politics are shaped, I always say this. You never make a permanent decision based on a temporary feeling. And you never do it because tomorrow you'll be like, Holy crap, what am I doing? And that's the kind of way I feel about college football, is is that right now people are feeling this way because they want sports. But understand that, like you say, Chris, it's not a hoax, it's real. Could it be, could the media, is it extrapolating a little bit? To a degree, we can agree on that, to a certain degree they are. But it doesn't change the reality. It does not change the fact that, Chris, that these college football fans are basing it on emotion. It's a temporary emotions change. Like, you know, like that song, like Lost in Emotion by like Lisa Lisa and the Colt Jam. Oh, I, had to throw in a music, I had to throw in a music reference because that's part of my contract. But <laughs> who wrote the contract, you ask? I did. But the point is, is that sometimes logic can change. Emotion can change, but sometimes your logic, the older you get in life, will kind of become more consistent than your emotion, if that makes any sense. Because no, you, it does. You, know, you could be like a real curmudgeon like in your like your you know, 40s and then be like this sweet old guy when you're 70s. 
and vice versa. Because life happens. My biggest takeaway, Chris, is, is that I don't want college football fans to understand that you're basing it, if you're basing it off emotion, add logic. And if you're basing it on logic, put a little bit of emotion. Is that when you go completely on one side, Chris, or the other, it's like, a, like I don't know, giving out love advice, but it's like in relationships. You got to have emotion and logic. Imagine if you based everything on emotion. Like, oh, well, I love you. And then you, what happens, Chris, they, they, they run roughshod over you. Yeah. Until, until logic comes like, wait a minute, they're trying to, then you got to, you got, and that's the way I feel is going over college football. Is is that we're letting emotion get in the way here, and I understand, and I think I don't think Chris, we're, we're not miles apart. You know, we're, if, we, if we look at ourselves like government, and we're trying to negotiate like a deal, Chris, we're not that far apart. No, I don't think we're that far apart. I think my whole thing is that you're looking at it from the business side, which is very good. I look at the legal side because the legal side could end up costing the business side a lot of money. That's the truth. So. Think of the things that cost, you know, think of the things that cost, you know, you know, you know, your time. And that's all the time we have, unless you have something else to say, Chris, to wrap up the show. That's it, man. Just, uh, you know, same warning signs as before. Uh, don't look each other's buttholes. Um, stop rioting. Stop acting like assholes in the streets to uh, get cops to shoot pepper balls or rubber bullets at you. Stop setting shit on fire that isn't yours. Uh, respect other people's properties. Stop looting stores like Louis Vuitton and Gucci. Um, that literally does nothing for a cause, but just shows you how much of an asshole you really are at the end of the day. Um, and that's it. That's my soapbox. It's a short one. Yeah, I was gonna make a joke, but I didn't. We said the short. That was the short. I didn't. That's how professional we are on this show. <laughs> like you know, like listen, I could have been shorter. Like no, I did one earlier. So there's no need to double down on it. Yep, and there's a tall cliff with a sharp rock at the bottom waiting for you, bud. It is. Well, you know, I'll just look. I'll just look over that, and then I'll look over what you said <laughs> as I wrap up the show. <laughs> so right. to, stay right. to stay connected with the podcast, go to facebook.com/sports2world. Also join our group there. There'll be a poll question as well after, after the show, and on Twitter and Instagram, go to at sports2world. That's at Sports the World. My personal Twitter and Chris's non-Twitter is Ladarius underscore Brown. And check us out there. Leave your thoughts and comments about the show and whatever you want us to talk about. So until you hear us again, I'm Ladarius. And I'm Chris. Be real, be you, be blessed. From all of us here from the Sports and the World podcast. You made an usher comment, so I had to drop it in, man. (laughs) See you, everybody.